Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hi there. I'm Randa Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org podcast. From KQED. Holidays can be hard when you can't be with the people who you love. And many of us are in that position right now because of the pandemic. But for families with an incarcerated loved one, holidays like Mother's Day have been tough even before COVID-19. So it's got to be even harder now. This week, we learned that almost 300 people incarcerated at the California Institute for Men in Chino are sick with COVID-19. And that number is expected to rise. The pandemic also means that parents worried about their children in prison can't go and visit right now, even though they're thinking about them nonstop. We're the ones that are worried about you, because you're the one that's in there. And like my mom and my sisters, they've always been there for me. You know, my mom's beyond a, a superwoman. Today, a story about the bond between a mom and her son. I'm Devin Kadiyama. Welcome to the Bay. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Hey, what's up? I'm Erica Cruz Guevara, the host of The Bay. Donations keep independent journalism alive and healthy. And you support outstanding journalism when you support KQED. So if you haven't yet, check out donate.kqed.org slash podcasts. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcasts with an S. Connie Archuleta is 73 years old. She lives in Brawley in California's Imperial Valley, um, south of the Salton Sea. And her son is Pedro. And... The last time the two of them saw each other was before COVID-19. Robin Estrin is a freelance journalist at UC Berkeley's Graduate School of Journalism. He has been incarcerated since 2002, and he will be eligible for parole in 2025, but he's currently serving a life sentence. Where did Pedro grow up? Pedro grew up in Brawley. It's where Connie grew up. They both went to the same schools. And it has a large farming industry. Pedro worked with with cows on a farm growing up. He was always so lovable and never talked back to me. I was the one that sometimes when he would start picking on the kids, my grandkids, I would, whatever I had in my hand, I'd throw it at him. She has a, a critically ill nephew um, who she lives with and is taking care of right now. And she has a daughter who she lives with. 
Connie and Pedro have gone through a lot of trauma through the years. Connie had her first child at 16, and both her first and her second husband, Pedro's dad, were abusive. That's one reason Pedro's childhood was really hard. But Connie and Pedro were also very close. They would both agree that Connie spoiled him. Oh my God, he was a spoiled brat. Yeah, he still spoiled. She was very enamored with him, and he was her only son and her youngest. They took weekend camping trips and fishing trips. We would always just have cookouts and celebrate Mother's Day there because my, my daughters were all mothers too. So we all just got together. We all had a good time. How does Connie describe her son when she talks about him? First she said, you know, he's 5'7", 160 pounds. But I asked her, you know, when she looks at his face, what's the first thing that she noticed? She kind of said, oh, I don't know. He's kind of regular looking. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, okay. And she was like, actually. They all made fun of him that he had big ears. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, well, I think he's handsome. He's my son. So what can I say? <laughs> and how does Pedro describe Connie? There's a lot of a lot of love and reverence. He says that she's his number one woman, that she looks out for him and cares for him in a way that he can't even begin to portray how much it means to him, that she's always been there for him, always stood by him, and that she's an incredibly strong woman. You know, my mom's beyond a, a superwoman for she has that heart. She's had heart attacks, strokes, and she tells me each and every time she comes through that, you know, it's her thinking of me and me coming home to her. I'm happy she's there, but it hurts me at the same time because I can't be there for her in person, you know, do the things that I would have wanted to do with her if I was out there. And so he's been incarcerated for about 18 years. Do you know how often he he sees his mom or or how often they're able to talk? Connie doesn't drive anymore, so the visits have been much harder. She suffers from really serious leg pain, um, but she still visits Pedro every two to three months. But of course, since coronavirus arrived in California and into the state prisons, visitation has been canceled. Their relationship is sustained by daily phone calls. They talk sometimes two, three times a day. Pedro told me earlier this week that his relationship with his mom has never been stronger, as funny as that sounds. But I guess me and her together, we keep each other strong, we keep each other going. I don't give up on life, I don't give up on going home. And she doesn't either. Really, that's the most important thing in the world right now. I think that the circumstances of the coronavirus pandemic has um, given him a sense of urgency with his communications with his mom. Well, I imagine it's hard for her to get information about what's going on in, in the prison system, right? It seems almost impossible 
for family members to get a picture of what's going on in the prisons. There's a lot of confusion and fear from family members who don't know or can't confirm that their incarcerated children have access to protective gear like masks and hand sanitizer and soap. I feel that we won't get the medical attention fast enough, you know, and that's my concern that we get sick, you know, the medical response right here is very slow. There are about 3,300 men incarcerated in Chino's prison. It has a really dense population of elderly and sick individuals. Um, according to the prison system's healthcare system, half of the men in there are deemed medically high risk. The first inmate at a state prison has died of COVID-19 complications. He was incarcerated at the California Institution for Men in Chino. The state prison system says the inmate died at an outside hospital on Sunday. So far, over 100 state prison... Pedro is also more vulnerable to COVID-19. He grew up with severe asthma that even landed him in the hospital one time. And later, when he was incarcerated, he became sick with a respiratory illness called Valley Fever. He's now part of a class action lawsuit which says the State Department of Corrections is responsible for these cases inside the prison system. He's scared. I mean, he himself is medically high risk. He has a serious lifelong respiratory condition that compromises his immune system. But what he says about Chino is that it's like a convalescent home, that people are elderly and suffering from illnesses more serious than his. And when you ask him how he's doing, he'll tell you how they're doing and how he worries about them first. It's real bad, you know. I, I feel more bad about them than you know, really myself because, you know, a lot of them have been in prison for a long time. And for them having hope to go on home for getting this disease, I mean, this virus and, you know, kind of kind of sucks, you know? Pedro says that the generosity and care of Connie is a gift that he can share with other people. He receives regular packages from her with his favorite foods, and he goes through them quickly, quickly, quickly. And Connie will ask him, what's going on? You must be really hungry. Are, are they feeding you in there? And he'll say, Mom, I'm sharing stuff with people who don't have families who look out for them like you do for me. Bless them with something to eat or something, you know, that they ain't got nothing. I know it's hard for them. I'm blessed to have somebody take care of me. Do you know what's being done to keep incarcerated people like Pedro safe? So to address this, the prison system has uh, accelerated the release of 3,500 people. They've stopped intake from county jails, so people aren't coming into the prisons off the street, but they're still transferring people around. So there's still movement happening from prison to prison. You know, they say that they're doing their best to implement social distancing. They've moved 2,000 people from dorm rooms into cells where they'll have more space. They've moved about 500 people onto cots in gymnasiums. 
and they've moved about 60 people in Chino into these climate-controlled tents. But you know, there are still 40,000 people living in dorms, a significant majority of which are overcrowded. They try to separate us, but it doesn't make sense because they've got like 70 in the block. We go to the same child hall. We still got to touch after them. They don't give us chemicals to clean after ourselves. I guess they think they're trying, but it's still, it's uh, really like pretty bad conditions, you know? How is Connie dealing with the conditions Pedro's in right now? When you ask Connie if she's worried about Pedro, of course she's worried about Pedro. It's a very scary time. But she also worries if something happens to her. You know, she's in her 70s. She says, if, if I were to get sick and if I were to pass away, it would wreck Pedro. Well, I hate to see the way he's going to get if he finds out I passed away and he would, wasn't able to be here. I don't know what he'll do. It sounds like they're both worried about each other, and, and they both are part of these vulnerable populations. That's something that's really struck me, speaking with mothers and speaking with incarcerated children who are adults now, but still children to mothers, that there's this feeling of worrying more about your loved one than you do about yourself. Sometimes as like a protective measure, as a way to kind of offset some of your own vulnerabilities, but also there's just the most human tendency. It's easier to worry about someone else than it is to worry about yourself. The pain of incarceration and, and the pain of incarceration during the COVID-19 pandemic is not restricted to Pedro and Connie's relationship. Loving someone who is incarcerated comes with a lot of logistical and emotional challenges. There's a switch, right? We've been talking about women who are supporting their incarcerated loved ones. And mass incarceration doesn't just break up families by incarcerating the children of parents. It breaks up families by incarcerating the parents of children. Children are probably the biggest heartbreak of mothers inside. I talked about this with Betty McKay, who's an organizing fellow at SE Justice Group. Miss Betty comes to this work from firsthand experience. She herself was incarcerated for 27 years. She was separated from her son when he was 17 years old, six months before his high school graduation. That is probably the one thing that I have never been able to forgive myself for, hmm. is missing that graduation. One of the hardest parts of being an incarcerated mom is that you are a nurturer and you are a caretaker. So you're constantly thinking about your family, right? And protecting them and making sure they're safe and 
happy and loved. So when you think about a holiday and a visitation on a holiday, even seeing your family on Mother's Day can be extremely painful. You're asking your family to give up their holiday at home to come to prison. It looks like crowded, no seats, standing up most of the time, um, bumping elbows with everyone, vending machine congestion. It's just not a good time. Mm -hmm. I imagine these feelings that Betty felt about not being able to care for her son while she was incarcerated are also similar to what Connie might be feeling now about her relationship with Pedro, not being able to you know, be there for him while he's incarcerated. Mother's Day is a hard holiday for Connie, you know? Well, we all talk about him. We, we talk about memories that we had before, and we all miss him. We all miss him a lot, but we pretend he's working somewhere, you know. We don't want to think about him being in there. We just say, oh, well, he could have made it. And usually it's just memories that we talk about, things we used to do. Miss Betty says women bear a cross in prison that men just don't. And it's true for women who are not in prison and who are supporting their loved ones in prison. There's a, a financial burden of visitation, traveling for hours and hours to see your loved one for a couple of hours over the weekend. There's women who are raising the children of their incarcerated children. They are pulled out of their kind of retirement from motherhood or grandmotherhood to raise family members. And when men are incarcerated, women bear the burden, right? They become the, the leaders and linchpins of their families and their communities. And without women, things really fall apart. Is there anything Connie or Pedro are hopeful about? They're both hopeful that he's released from prison. That's what Pedro wants more than anything. He, he feels like he is a changed man and that he is able to support and love his family in a way that he was not able to because of the trauma that he's experienced in his life. And he prays that he will make it home to see his mom. And with COVID-19, it's just become more complicated and more urgent. You know, he wants to come home and be with his mom. That's his Mother's Day wish. Robin, thank you so much for sharing these stories. Thank you so much for having me.
Pedro's life sentence was modified in 2006 to include the possibility of parole. And his first parole date is in 2025, more than two decades after he first went in. Robin Estrin is a freelance journalist at UC Berkeley's Graduate School of Journalism. Lucas Gilkey contributed to the reporting of this story. And before I let you go, just a reminder that next Wednesday, May 13th at 5.30 p.m., the Bay is going to be doing a live taping of one of our interviews. You are invited, of course. You can ask us questions about our production process or questions about how COVID might impact the 2020 elections. That's what we're going to be talking about with Marisa Lagos. You can find details for all that in our episode notes. The Bay is produced by Erica Cruz-Guevara and our editor, Alan Montecilio. We get help each week from Kiana Mogadam. KQED's leadership team includes Jessica Placek, Erica Aguilar, Vinny Tong, Ethan Tobin Lindsay, and Holly Kernan. I'm Devin Kadiyama. That's it for the Bay. We'll talk to you next week. Hi, I'm Sasha Koka, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as like the place to be California. The land of milk and honey, that's where you go to Sunshine State, but we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, it was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support.